Hey there, and welcome to the UX Growth Podcast, sponsored by Bubble, the platform that empowers you to build web applications with no coding required. This is your go-to spot to dive deep into all things UX design. Here, we tackle the questions you've got about navigating the UX field and share a thing or two to help you grow in your UX journey. Each episode is all about making the tough stuff feel doable and inspiring, you to take the next step in your career. Now, let's jump right into today's chat. Hi, this is the UX Grow Podcast, the podcast that helps people learn and grow in the UX design industry. I'm your host, Nick Mann. I'm here with another guest of season three, Grace Ling, founder of Design Buddies, a community of over 60,000 members to help designers land jobs and improve their skills. Also a product slash UX designer at Electronic Art, and also a content creator. Thank you so much, Grace, for being here. I'm excited to learn more about your journey and everything that you've been doing. Thanks for having me on. Yes. So let's begin by, can you share us your journey of how you became a product slash UX designer? Yeah, for sure. Growing up, I was born and raised in the SF Bay Area, also known as Silicon Valley, where I was told I needed to become a doctor, engineer, or lawyer. However, as a kid, I always thought normal is boring, and I wanted to become an anime artist and a game designer. I love anime and playing games, and I love entertaining people. I was always also a big class clown. I loved telling jokes and always got in trouble. I got sent to the principal's office many times. I always like to be, you know, make people laugh. And this carries me to this day. And then in high school, my mom, she paid me to go to the gym with her. And that's when I discovered I was good at running. So I joined competitive cross-country track in high school, suddenly got randomly very fast, went to nationals, placed in a top 10, and also broke all my school records. And that inspired me to study bioengineering in college because I wanted to learn how to biohack myself to run faster. However, I, I realized I didn't really like working in bioengineering. I love like learning about biology, engineering, but I just didn't really enjoy the lab work when I was really honest with myself. So I pivoted over to game design and computer science. So I studied, I ended up studying bioengineering and computer engineering for my bachelor's and master's degree because I was like, want to biohack myself, was pre-med, and then later I wanted to learn how to design and develop games. I did a couple of internships in software engineering slash game dev, um, but I found programming particularly difficult. I feel like, no, I wish I enjoyed it and I really wish I was better at it, but I was always like the last person to finish in my lab and I was just like really slow at it because I found programming particularly hard because I'm a very visual and kinesthetic learner and I, it was really hard for me to picture all these concepts and functions and variables and everything, but I wish I was good at it, but that is totally okay. And <laughs> through one of my internships in summer of 2019, I was a um, virtual reality robotic surgery game developer intern at Intuitive Surgical, where I designed and developed games to train surgeons to do surgery. And throughout that internship, that's where I actually discovered UX design. Um, I designed and developed a game to help surgeons improve their hand-eye coordination. I was like, I like this. I didn't really like the coding, but I like the UX and the level design part of it. 
So I decided to dive into UX design towards the end of 2019 because I felt like it combined my um, art background and also technical engineering background to solve problems in a creative manner. However, I found it particularly difficult to pivot into design because I didn't want to go back to school. I also like didn't want to pay for a boot camp. I just kind of like wanted to DIY my career. So I just tried kind of starting my portfolio, doing random projects like volunteer work, freelance work, design challenges. And actually, that's how I created Design Buddies in April of Mm -hmm. 2020, just to make some friends in design. And I just wanted to create a fun community to learn and grow from each other. And today, three and a half years later, we have 62,000 members on Discord with over 100,000 members following us overall on all of our channels. So it all started, I feel like my UX journey has a lot to do with building a community and having opportunities come to me and me also being really involved in community, learning from people, putting myself out there, seeing how I can add value to people's lives and in turn get a lot of value added to my life as well. And also continuing my journey in content creation and traveling, entrepreneurship, running events and just have a lot of fun. Also, that's actually how I got my job at Electronic Arts EA. It's my first job at college, but I got it through all my community building stuff and cold messaging people on LinkedIn and personal branding and putting stuff out there. So I feel like my UX career and my career in general has a lot to do with being really involved in community, also putting myself out there and seeing, meeting people and sharing and adding value to each other's lives. So that's that's really what worked for me in my career so far. Wow, that is quite a journey and so fascinating and of all the stuff that you did that you can apply to your UX career and that's what's helped you, especially because I've been in Design Buddies for over a year and I can see like how much that community is building on with these great members and great events and making sure that it's just a great environment to learn and grow in itself. Like It's so fascinating to see done so well. And I'm very impressed with that. So Grace, that's one of the biggest reasons why I just had to talk to you. You always know about that mindset that you had when you're building it out. But of course, you also are doing it with a full-time job. So there's a balance of all this. So I want to know, how does this come together in such a demanding field of UX design? Yeah, I, I'm very curious about a lot of things, so I don't hold back on trying anything that interests me. For me, yes, my full-time job is a UX designer. However, I feel like my goals in life change a lot. I don't see myself as only a UX designer. I don't let that job title limit anything I do in life. So I do design buddies, I do content creation, I do a lot of traveling, host a lot of events. So I kind of just do all of it. And that's how I approach balance in my in my personal approach, I have fun with being curious about a lot of things. So I end up doing a ton of things. And I feel like these skills build on top of each other. For example, at my day job, I learned a lot of technical skills, a lot of UX skills. And then in design based and content creation, I learned a lot of soft skills. Uh, also a lot of dealing with, like kind of working with others and writing, con- video editing and communication. So I feel like all these skills really build up and really complement each other. And it's also really fun for me. That's a key secret. Like one of the strategies that we always feel like in our routines of like how we are managing our day work, but also with our passion projects, how we are able to find fun. And I'm just like, how do you balance it all? Yeah, I feel like 
One has to do with a great team on both ends. So at EA, I'm really grateful that my team really likes design buddies and supports me in like uh, my content creation and public speaking. And two, design buddies, I feel like the people run, that I run it with me and the people in the community are great. They don't really cause problems. I've also had a lot of experiences. I, I ha I'm so grateful. I had a lot of experiences to learn from a lot of experiences dealing with conflict in the past with design buddies that I later learned from as well. So I feel like I have trust and I really just appreciate people in both areas of my life that are also like really open to me, like trying other things and helping out along the way too. And just having fun and being staying curious is how I able to do so many things. Yeah, staying curious is such a powerful aspect. I actually made a LinkedIn post on that. What made me appreciate and learn UX design so much easier was just being curious about it. And that's love is the, the asking the questions of ourselves, how we're able to find out like, how does this work? Why was it made? What constraints and what business goals is it trying to solve? What user goals are trying to solve? And it's, it's always how, like how we come together and being able to understand like, what is it that we love doing and how we can best emphasize that. And I know one aspect that always feels difficult for people who are trying to get in this field and trying to find like, what is their calling in the field of UX design? And when they do, it's often comes with imposter syndrome. And I do feel like imposter syndrome is one of the biggest things that I feel like holds back so many great designers from doing their best work. And I'm just one of fascination, fascination of learning more about your imposter syndrome and what you know about it. Yeah, imposter syndrome, I think it could be both a good and a bad thing. A good thing means, I think it means it's an indicator that you're doing something outside of your comfort zone. So you are growing. So that's like the good thing. The bad thing is when it paralyzes you to stop you from doing things. And how I, because of how many times I've changed my career in the past, I used to deal with a lot of imposter syndrome because I felt like I was starting from scratch and all my peers were way ahead of me. And how I like to think of it now is like, hey, I, there's a, we're all on our own journey. And mm -hmm. I don't have to compare myself to others. Everyone has their own strengths, weaknesses, and value they can add and cool things they can all do. Like, I don't think people are necessarily like better than other people. It's just some people have different skill sets and some people have different, just like stories in life that lead to them to where they are. Um, so it's seeing, like letting go of like, oh, I have to be like, quote unquote, better than someone else. Or like, hey, that person's like better than me. Seeing other people as like, hey, how can we learn from each other? How can we add value? How can we help each other out? And two is like constantly staying curious and learning new things and just focusing on the process, not the destination mm. and just having fun along the way. Yeah. So that's kind of how I talk myself out of imposter syndrome. It's not always a bad thing, but it's only a bad thing that paralyzes you and I know it's also a lot of things are outside of your control. So I just feel like enjoying the journey, having fun learning along the way, not limiting yourself, not also, also for me, not defining myself by a specific job title has helped me. For me, I honestly don't know what I want to do in my life, but I'm having the best time figuring it out and not having constraints in life. It's just how I also got over imposter syndrome personally. I totally know what you mean by how we are try trying to frame it as a positive aspect. I look at it as a way that allows you to understand what is it that you don't know, because the opposite is even worse. Because, man, 
design like any designer who thinks they know more than they actually do always ends up being the worst people to work with and you don't want to be that person with having imposter syndrome it creates a lot of humbleness and it creates a lot of ways for opportunities for you to learn and grow because now you you are self-aware of like there's still so much more out there that i need to know i think that's also very powerful to look at imposter syndrome in that way Man, I also felt that a lot during job interviews. It always feels like you have to impress people. You have to feel like I can do this job, even though a lot of things sound vague or I don't feel really feel like I know exactly about the role that I'm really getting myself into until I'm in it. I think that's where a lot of my imposter syndrome really stems from is that the fear of the unknown. I'm just mm. curious, now, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I feel like the fear of the unknown for me, I just kind of treat it as like, oh, it's like I can figure it out or like there's like things I can do to have fun with it. For me, I think it depends on the person, but I love the unknown because that means I have no constraints. I can it can be wherever I define it to. Yeah. And I feel like topical job interviews, I feel like when you're interviewing someone, you're also interviewing the company. It's not like it's like a two way street. You're seeing that the company is a good fit for what you want. And it's like both sides have to work out and it's okay if one doesn't work out. There's like plenty of opportunities out there and it's better to be stuck, at least personally. It's like better for me to be like at a place where I'm enjoying it versus mm -hmm. a place I really hate every second of it, even if it earns more money. Um, so yeah, it's like a, a two-way street. That's how I like kind of dealt with it. Um, I just find enjoyment in the fear of unknown. Like as UX designers, like we're trying to define how can we create experiences that both solve problems, meet technical requirements and make money. And so it's like mm -hmm. kind of a, a puzzle piece working together. So it's like approaching life as like an iterative, iterative approach like step by step working together figuring it out like a big puzzle piece and like UXing my life and take it like chunk by chunk instead of like I had to be perfect all the time by just piece by piece working together finding new data testing it out getting feedback iterating mm -hmm. and that's how I got over like kind of like UXing my life actually getting over the fear of unknown it's always easy to look back on it when I look at my fear of unknowns like oh my gosh I was so concerned over things that were didn't even exist so I feel like it's always easy for me to say in hindsight when I look at advice or people who are going through it. So that's always like the struggles I experience when I look at uh, the unknown. But I love the positivity uh, mindset that you have with it. But you have no constraints. You are more free to see how you are going with the future of the direction. That's so powerful, but also you make it sound so easy that I, I, part of me feels a little envious because it feels like I have to consciously remind myself multiple times about that. So mm. it's going to have fun for me. Like I never really fit the mold of like a job title. I've always done a lot of things like outside of my main job and I know some, because like I saw, so growing up with parents, both as professors with PhDs, they were very deep in their field, mm. um, very into academics. And I found school very difficult. I found university engineering very, very hard. Like I struggled a lot in school, especially with test taking. Mm. And for, for a long time, I actually felt like a failure because I wasn't good at it. It didn't come natural to me. And just recognizing what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, what I like to do 
helped me like confidently make decisions and keeping an open mind saying, I don't know what I'll, where I'll be in like next year. I don't know where I'll be next month. Just enjoying the freeing freeness of living without constraints has helped me get over the fear of unknown. That's definitely something that we all need to remind ourselves. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so how do you think the UX community can support each other more in dealing with imposter syndrome? Yeah, I've noticed the pain point, a big point, pain point I see is people are afraid of getting feedback on their work, mm. um, which can make sense because sometimes people put a lot of their personality and personal self in their work and they don't want to receive critical feedback. But just being able to give people constructive feedback and being very understanding and empathetic where people are coming from helps as well. And just, I feel like in general, in the community, being open-minded to ways of thought that might be different than yours also helps like listening to understand instead of listening to respond. And for me, that looks like learning about both sides of the situation and making decisions that benefit the majority instead of a loud minority. So having a balanced opinion and holistic view of big mm -hmm. issues and understanding different perspective has helped me cultivate a community that is constructive. I'm still learning a lot, but I've made a lot of mistakes along the way in my three years so far in Design Buddies, which I'm always happy to share. Yeah, I, I totally understand, especially when it comes to like getting feedback and on our work. I, I definitely have improved a lot since then because it's always a constant reminder of stuff that we are more than our work. We spent quite a few hours on it and feel like we want to do the best we can, but we also have to look at the the criticism that people spending their time and energy to help you, really. They're not breaking you down. And I think that's a, one reminder about it. And we are free to take that feedback however we wish because, yeah, I've gotten some constructive criticism that I actually did not agree with. And so, like, that's up to us. Do we apply it and ready to do our best with it? Or can we realizing the difference between what some feedback is helpful and some that isn't? So I think that's also like a challenge for amongst other designers, especially when they get, when they get so much feedback, they will get things that contradict each other. That's something that I've experienced a lot, especially when I was building my first portfolio. I'm just curious to know your thoughts on that. Yeah. I'm for me, I put myself out there on the internet, so I get all sorts of feedback and mm -hmm. I like to kind of take thing, take both sides and seeing what makes sense and not feeling obligated to take every single piece of feedback. Um, for example, I would get something be like, design buddy sucks. And I'll, oh. I'll ask like, tell me why, tell me more. Like, I want to know why it sucks. Um, and sometimes I just say like, oh, the channels are, are a lot of channels or it looks like too hard to navigate. So that's actually useful. So being like, I, I, I know that I'm not perfect and I, I love constructive feedback to help me improve. But sometimes people are like, oh, it just sucks. I hate it. And I was like, that's okay. Like people are entitled to their own opinion. It's not my job to please everyone. And I just mm -hmm. kind of let them be. I just kind of forget about it. But this yeah. also has to deal with, like, I guess, long story short, I was actually bullied a lot in school as a kid. Oh. And so I'm, <laughs> I feel like yeah. my skin is very thick compared to like, many other people so that's why like my brain's like this I'm so used to getting negative feedback that now I either turn it into something that I can use like actual mm -hmm. feedback 
or I just like, okay, that's okay. I just kind of forget about it because as humans, it is so normal to focus on the few that are negative and forget about the majority who are positive. And y'all don't live life for other people. You live life for yourself. And I feel like it's helpful to try to help as many people along the way, but it's not your goal. It's not your... It's not your responsibility to please every single person, and that is okay. Mm. Not everyone's your target audience. Yeah, I think that's uh, one thing that I've also learned about uh, when you're trying to be a content creator. Is it's like you can't please everyone, but you can please the people that matter the most to you. And I think that's what really is the most important. Because uh, when you're trying to please everyone, it's just like it falls apart. You please no one. You're you got to go back to the drawing board of like, who are, who are you and what are your values and how that becomes such a problem if you are just trying to become just a people pleaser to everyone. And like, what is it that you're trying to accomplish with that? And it does always end up like that. So I'm curious to know, there's a lot of the problems of overcoming fear of putting ourselves out there, especially even as content creators or even just people who just want to be more social especially because of a lot of us have our comfort and our uh, comfort zones, like in our room you know, and just how we appear online. It's like for the longest time, like I got so scared of even just having phone calls. So like to even bring it up to even video calls, like, wow, that was a step up for me and realizing like, Hey, it's not scary at all. So I'm just curious to know like, what, what are the challenges that you recommend for people who are just trying to get themselves out there and get out of their comfort zones? Yeah, start small. Start by mm -hmm. like calling a friend, practice talking out your ideas, go to a local design meetup, try reaching out to people on LinkedIn, commenting on each other's posts, and maybe getting some inspiration to make your own posts. You can post about your journey, your learnings, what you're doing. Just starting small and kind of building it up and real recognizing that it's not going to always be perfect, but focusing on the journey. I'm also curious, since you mentioned that you found mm -hmm. it difficult to put yourself out there, what was the thing that made you start a whole podcast or two podcasts as well? <laughs> so, so the reason with my first podcast was really... It, it was about self-improvement and that was to help me become better at myself as I was graduating from college. So a lot of that helped me learn and grow over my own anxiety and getting outside of my own head. I think in the worst case scenarios that don't exist. So you, you're right that it was definitely a step-by-step -step process of just talking into a microphone, not even recording it, just getting used to just talking. And then it was recording it. And then it was sharing the recording. And then it was eventually having guests on to talk with. And I know like I'm fast forwarding this, but this, this is over the span of like four years as I just got more and more used to it and being able to build myself up to it. I know like I can look back and say like, oh yeah, I should have had guests on like way sooner, but I look at it as like, it, everything is necessary for the time it was, and I can't hold any kind of regrets on the speed of my own growth. So I think that's also a lot of issues. We try to always put the fast forward on our own growth and feel like we are going slower than we should when really is, that's the pace that we naturally are. And you can't really fast forward any kind of experience as much as people really want to believe, but it's all going for our own purpose and course for, for it all. 
And, you know, once I've gotten to the UX design process, it really actually came down to a choice of like which podcast. And that's the reason why I had to decide what the UX field, because it was just uh, fit so much more with the line of the values of where I wanted to go with my career. As much as I love talking about the self-improvement that I realized in that I can still, still talk quite a bit of it, especially like we're talking about the fear of putting ourselves out there. And how even though a lot of the discussions I've talked back in that podcast can still be relevant to this podcast now because a lot of the problems are, are human problems. And that's how we are able to learn more about ourselves and be able to grow as people, but also into our careers. So it feels like I'm able to take the best out of my podcast and recombine it together. So that's how I view myself and how I'm putting myself out there and how I'm constantly improving. Especially because I was dreadful at public speaking, absolutely horrible in school. And now it feels like I can talk now. I feel like I cannot worry about what people think of me anymore. Now I feel like I'm doing my best job. And at the end of the day, that's all I can do. And I can feel proud of that because I accomplished it. So that's how I feel about that. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Definitely. You feel you feel very smooth as a public speaker. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, so one issue that I can say for a lot of listeners who want to become better a public speaker is I was too much in my own head of thinking about the things that I should say versus the things that I feel like I want to say. I think that's the difference. I think it's more like I'm leading with my heart instead of my brain. Mm, I think people appreciate that more if you're like really genuine and with message and people can can see through that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me feel a lot less like strict and rigid on the things that I have to say, especially like when I first started podcasting with guests, like I would have my script. I still have like my script here, but it's it's very loose. I don't care if I go off script. I'm actually very comfortable going off script. But back then, I hanged on to that script for dear life because I didn't know what to do if I ever went off script and you get, you, you get more comfortable as you start getting more and more out of script and realizing like, sometimes you just don't even need script at all. Mm -hmm. So I know like, and realizing like we can make it as structured as we want, or it can make it as free. And it all depends on our own comfortability, but also the fact like, let's challenge ourselves, you know, let's, let's have a podcast where there's just no script whatsoever and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just being open-minded, trying new things, but starting mm -hmm. small and then just kind of improving, learning along the way and iterating and UXing your process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'm, cu I'm curious to know, uh, what are your thoughts on the designers who are always so hesitant to speak up their thoughts in their professional settings? Hmm. Two things. I feel like I want to know more about the question. Like, I guess like, who hasn't, I guess it could be both ways. So I've actually talked to some friends, content creator friends who work at like large tech companies. Apparently it's like kind of frowned upon to post content out there because they might look less committed to their employers. So there's mm. that. The other part of it is some designers, they might feel like they're just beginning in their journey kind of feel like they don't really have anything to offer and like yeah. feel like no one would want to listen to them. So there's kind of two two aspects to that. I would say like I'm definitely not in a position of like the designer who has a has a company that like frowns upon talking to them. There's a lot I don't know there so I can't comment on that, but 
to the designers who feel like they have nothing to offer, I feel like everyone has something they can offer. Like, even if you're a student, like if you're a college student or high school student, there's advice you can share with your younger self. You can share your story. Other people can connect with you, connect with peers, help each other out. So I think any everyone has their own journey and own value they can share with others, no matter where you are in your career. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually have experiences for both of those as well. Man, I, I was actually like I hearing people who are afraid to be able to to be a content creator and talk with it within their their job setting because they feel fearful that they're not gonna be committed. I actually look at that as like the exact opposite. I was actually always really free to share my podcast with when my job interviews and to my employers. And turns out pretty much everyone I talked to about it just didn't care. Mm, yeah, there has the company culture, though, I would say, because there's so many, yeah, so many different opinions out there. I know, like, if anything, it was either supportive and actually like, fascinated to know more about like how, how I do it. Also, this fact is often just kind of just brush it off and realize I've actually never had any kind of negative and like aspect out of all of it. So it's it feels a bit re relieving to anyone who feels they are fearful of starting some side project and feel like that's going to interfere with their business. Unless maybe if, if it's a uh, conflict of interest, I can see that, but then we're probably getting into a different subject then. Yeah, all my side hustles has been received pretty well at my workplace, at least. And and as, as also like for me as employer, Grace, if my company does not support my side hustles, I will find a new job or I will go full on my own thing. So you're not yeah. fixed to wherever you work. And I feel like it should be mutual, mutual. And you don't, there's so many opportunities out there. I know with right now, I feel like kind of bad. I don't know if it's like appropriate to say with all the layoffs happening. So again, like this is like very what Grace would do, not what everyone should do, because I know everyone has different circumstances mm -hmm. with their job too. So just wanted to put that out there, but like if you're in an environment that doesn't support you and you as a person, I personally don't think that's a place you want to work. Yeah, the company culture of like what they value should just be reflective of yourself and about it. And turns out there there's so many companies that either, that will support it and or just not care at all. And you're free to do however you wish because I I know for you know our jobs. So. Yeah, def it definitely is. If the environment is not fulfilling your needs as who you are, then yeah, I think there is time that we need to reevaluate. What is it that you can do to become into a better environment for that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah, also another part of it is that the feeling like you have you don't have a voice because you're like you're new or you're young, you don't are inexperienced. I also felt that a lot and also feels kind of difficult to be able to say, Hey, here's what everyone should do in the UX field. When like, Hey, I just started like a couple of months ago. Like, you don't, you know, like it feels like, who are you to say that? And it can always feel daunting. But one thing I I've got over that is the fact one, sometimes things are going to sound cringe when you say it out loud than it is online. I realize that you just got to embrace it. turns out a lot of people are more caring about themselves than you. So if you think it's cringe, Post it anyway. Turns out that chances are you, or you're the only one who finds a cringe. Uh, also, another point is that 
you are you are always valid to showcase anything that you are proud of or feel like there is a problem that you feel like there is a solution to. And some people may disagree with that. Guess what? That's okay. Because then because you are getting feedback and then you can also learn from it. So I think that's how I look at it and realizing that I thought I posted some controversial things. Turns out a lot of people are actually in agreement with me. So that's also one thing like, wow, I'm just too much in my own head thinking of scenarios that don't exist. So that's where my, a lot of my experience has like come from. The fact that people should just be putting yourself out there because people always don't, don't think the same way you do and how you can, you know, perceive all these negative aspects of yourself. And you don't need anyone's permission to put yourself out there. Just do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, nothing to lose. Live life. I like. I personally like to live life apologizing than asking for permission. So just kind of live life and see what happens. Don't hold back. <laughs> don't let anyone hold back. Hold you back. Yeah, I know. And like, that's a fun thing about social media. It's like, what's the worst they can do? Like, maybe block you. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> as long as you're not violating any laws or NDAs. Yeah, any contracts. Yeah, yeah, or you know, you're not being like overly negative, I guess, stuff like or that. Causing like, harm. I, yeah, I've had to push myself to not say like something like of a very bad job interview. Like, man, there are times like I felt like I could just go off by realizing that you know what, I don't want to put that energy out there. Realizing that I want to be above that. I don't want to feel like that's affecting what I'm doing in the future. So that's the reason why mm -hmm. I realizing that. I it's agree. best but it's best to let go of any kind of negative feelings that you have expressed and feel like you really want to put that on social media because now when people see that, they're gonna associate that with you. And then you realize like, man, I did that when I was mad. That wasn't just that wasn't me. And that's when we have to look at mm -hmm. like, I also who think, is it that we ask people. I also think it's completely human to feel emotions and feel angry at things. So I think it's also mm -hmm. important to have good friends that you can talk about these issues with instead of bottling them up and suppressing them. I also, that's why like having friends like in person or having close friends online to talk about these things with and so you kind of get them out because I think mental health is really important instead of like putting them on the internet also helps. And yeah, highly, highly recommend against putting out any content bashing other people because I feel like when I see that it tells me about how they are as a person how they are managing their emotions how their intentions are so no matter how angry you feel which is totally human to feel angry but there's other ways to deal with it than putting it on the internet oh yeah there's always so many ways and I totally agree about having our own community and friends that we build ourselves and what we know that there is design buddies for that. So I think that is just a great way to talk about how as we're drawing a close to this episode, like what's the best way to support what you're doing, Grace, and learn more about design buddies? Thank you for sure. Yeah, feel free to join us on Discord, discord.gg slash design buddies. We are currently, we work with a lot of um, partners and sponsors to help do events, design challenges, content with us to help bring more resources to the design community. And for me, I'm also a content creator. So I make content about design, career on LinkedIn, as well as lifestyle travel on Instagram. So happy to connect with other creators and brands to see how we can co-create something together. 
And if anyone enjoys Design Buddies or wants to share Design Buddies as a resource to help for your friends and students and coworkers, y'all are free to welcome to y'all are welcome to Design Buddies completely free to join, participate in. We want to keep it free and keep wanting to grow and help help each other out. Yeah, it's such a great community. It's actually for the process of where people actually learn and grow in a, just a really comforting environment where you are free to do it as you wish in a way that makes sense for yourself in the community. It's just, it, it definitely feels like it highlights one of the greatest communities I've ever seen. So I definitely appreciate that what you're doing, Grace. Thank you. Appreciate it. Also, if anyone has any connections to like conferences, public speaking, podcasts, interviews, happy to like hop on as well. Like I, I love doing podcasts and interviews. So if you enjoyed it and yeah, feel free to also just join Design Buddies and meet other buddies, have fun, grow your design career and enjoy your journey. Yes. And all links of that can be found in the show notes and you're free to contact Grace about any opportunity, podcast opportunities, if you wish. Thanks so for having great. me on. Yes, absolutely. So any closing words you'd like our audience to know about? Yeah. So this I have a couple of words, I guess. I like to wrap up with some advice, like saying that like, it's your life. I know having an open mind, listening to opinions that are different than mine, learning about other people's lives, traveling, learning about different lifestyles has helped really open my mind. So being open to opportunities and living a fun, balanced life leads, in my opinion, to a successful life and having fun. Don't let anything stop you from what you like to do and enjoy the journey make friends, have fun, live happy, and hope y'all vibe and thrive. <laughs> Thank you so much, Grace, for being here. Thanks yes. for having me. Yes, please do support our guests. And until then, you just listen to the UX Grow podcast. I'm your host, Nick Mann. Thank you for listening. That concludes another episode of the UX Growth podcast. We appreciate your time with us today. If you found value in this discussion, we invite you to follow us on your preferred podcast platform or to connect with the host on LinkedIn. Before we part ways, we'd like to acknowledge our sponsor, Bubble. If you're looking to create web applications effortlessly, Bubble's no-code platform is your gateway. Build your projects with intuitive drag-and-drop actions, making the complex seem simple. And the best part? You can kickstart your app development journey without any coding expertise. To support the show, we encourage you to visit our sponsors link, which can be found along with other links in the show notes. Until our next episode, continue your exploration, learning, and growth in the UX design field.